0: Good morning
1: everybody You're visiting with us today We're glad you're here I want you to be at home I want you to have fun But also be challenged My job is not to make you comfortable But to be an instrument of God That maybe will bring conviction into your life I make no apologies for that I know my job But I love you So I'm going to challenge you. I don't know of anything that's made any more difference in my life than the Spirit of God and the Word of God. I didn't grow up up in a Christian home, although I grew up in a home that had been influenced by Christian values. My parents later became Christians. We had a family Bible, one of those big ones, you know, that goes on the coffee table. But I was, I was about 14 years old when I got my first Bible. Still have it. It's in my office today. I thank God for the Word, because without the Word, I would have never come to know God. So we're going to challenge you today to think about that. And I hope to say some things today that maybe will make you desire to fall in love with God more by looking into His Word. One of the things God's word taught me is that God is not bound by time in any way, but his timing is absolutely impeccable and it's always spot on. Henry Blackaby teaches that we need to be looking around us to see what God is doing so that when we see God at work, we can join him. I believe we need to be looking around to see what God is doing so we know when God is working because timing, timing is critical There is a window of opportunity for you, literally, a window of opportunity for you to see God and join God and get involved in what God is doing. But that window of opportunity that God provides does not stay open forever. God is moving. Don't ever think God is being seated anywhere. He's moving through our world and through our lives, and it's our job to get on board with him when he comes back. Are you with me? Because if you don't get on board, you will get left behind. It's our job. Our trip to Florida last week was an eye opener for me in a couple of ways. (laughs) My oldest granddaughter Hannah is fixing to graduate from high school. That's an eye opener. (laughs) Um, She's too she's too young for that. I mean, you know, I remember Hannah when she was a little bee thing, but she's grown up. Um, also Josh, the youngest son of Mike and Trina Zygon is, is, is fixing to graduate from high school And I was around both of them last week Both of them are about to get their feet wet by stepping out into the real world And finding out what that's about And they're going to take their educational journey to a whole new level They're both getting ready to enter college life And that is different Amen <laughs> They're uh, going to be more exposed to the ways of the world. They're going to have new freedoms and less parental control or supervision. They're most assuredly going to be tempted on a scale far greater than anything they've ever experienced before. And they're going to wake up every morning with new choices that they have to make. And there's going to be a new weight of worldly pressure that's going to try to mold their minds and their action like never before. As our kids grow up and they move on, then us parents are left behind and, and each of us faces a, an unknown reality about how our children are going to do out there in the world, how they're going to get along, how they're going to survive. We don't know how they're going to do in making all those choices that they have to make. Some of our children will take flight and they'll soar like eagles and they'll do well. Others I'm sad to say we'll crash and burn. I had an opportunity last week to be with my grandson for a little while and we we talked about and I deliberately shared this story with him because I wanted him to know something about life. He's 15 years old and (laughs) he's got a lot of growing up to do. He's right behind his sister. He'll graduate hopefully (laughs) in a little while down the road. But I told him a story about a cousin of ours that he never got to know, never met, um, who graduated from high school up in New Jersey, where my father was from. My cousin, when he graduated, he got a wild hair and he moved to Florida, moved to Miami. Um, I don't know a lot about how that transpired, but I know he went to Miami, lived there about six months. And then he moved home, back home to New Jersey. And a year and a half later, he died of AIDS. He lived in Miami with no family and no parental control. He made some really bad choices concerning relationships and lifestyles. And he wasn't ready for all the freedom that he had. And, and, and what's worse was he really wasn't, in my mind, equipped for life. And he certainly had no spiritual foundation at all. He was lost. He didn't come from a Christian home either. Tragically, his life was short and Barry died at 19 years of age. Um, It's sad that he wound up a statistic, that he wound up a corpse, that he wound up a lost soul. Uh, What a waste of life. As I think about Barry and as I told that story the other day, I I can't help believe that if somebody had shared some scripture with my cousin, I can't help but wonder that he might still be alive today. Maybe he would have chosen Jesus, I don't know. I I wish somebody would have shared this passage. It's it's Romans chapter 12, verse one and verse two. Paul writes, and so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God. I mean, if they'd have just stopped there. Give your body to God, not to the world. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that he will accept. When you think of what he has done for you, is this too much to ask? Don't copy the behavior and the customs of the world. Don't live like the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Circle that word, think. That, that's an important word. We're going we're to... Camp on that in just a little bit. He goes on to say, then you will know what God wants you to do, and you will know how good and pleasing and perfect his will really is. Instead of giving his body to the world, I believe Barry maybe would have given his body to Jesus, and maybe would still be alive today. At least he would have had a chance if he had heard God's word. I had someone ask me the other day if I preached against abortion. And that is a very legitimate question. It really is. Um, it is also, can be a loaded question because I've been asked that question many times. I responded simply by saying, I, I try every Sunday to preach the Word of God. You know, I, I was so serious about that that when we started this building, I took the very first Bible that I preached with as we started Harvest. I wrapped it up and sealed it, making it waterproof. And it is literally right under me in the concrete. My goal is to stand on the word of God every Sunday and preach the word. It doesn't always make me happy, but it sets me straight. And it challenges me to live the way God would have me to live. I, uh, I said I preach God's word. If you want to know if I am pro-life, yes, I am. And I don't apologize for that. Am I leading a crusade specifically against abortion? No, that's not my job. But if you've been with me very long, you know that I'm preaching against some kind of sin every Sunday. <laughs> and some of you say, quit stepping on my toes. But that's my job. If you go through my membership discovery class, you're going to hear me say that you are a special creation from God. We all are. I believe that you're special to God at the moment of conception. I believe that you're a special living soul at conception, not birth, not when you breathe, but at conception. Um, I've studied God's word and there's a passage of scripture where God was speaking to Jeremiah who was a teenager probably 13, 14, 15 years old and God is giving Jeremiah some, some instructions about life and about what he wanted him to do and, and Jeremiah records in the fourth verse of chapter one he says the Lord gave me a message and he said to me I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart, and I appointed you as a spokesman to the world. God was saying, Jeremiah, you're special to me, and I have a job for you to do. You're going to be a prophet that's going to preach my word, and you're going to help me reach people. Folks, every child is special to God. I believe that with all my heart. and and deserves a chance to live. God has a plan for every life. A baby is not just a fetus with potential life, but rather a, a life with great potential. God has a purpose for life. He's got a purpose for you. Whatever, you may not know what your purpose is, but there's a purpose for you. Find out what it is. Don't waste the opportunity. Make the most of it. Use your life to maximize the impact that you can make on the world for God. You have a purpose. I was also asked recently if I was a King James only pastor. And uh, trust me, that's not the first time I've been asked that question either. I, 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 my first Bible was King James. And the first study Bible that I invested money in, um, I went to an art show and I said, God, just let me sell at least enough artwork that I can buy a Bible I left the art show with $55 in my pocket my Bible cost me 53 God even tipped me <laughs> God will provide if you ask he'll take care of you I, uh, I cut my teeth on the King James Honestly, it's difficult to understand. I don't speak, I'm still learning English, and y'all know that. (laughs) I'm not very good at the King's English uh, either. I switched somewhere around 1990 to the NIV translation, and then about the year 2000 to the New Living translation. Um, I've been involved in children's life and youth life for about 27 years as a pastor. I've given a lot of Bibles away, and and, and my thought is this. What good is giving a Bible to someone that they will not or cannot read? Give them something they can read, something they will read. We all need to read the Word of God. There's no greater book has ever been published than the Word of God. The Bible tells us that we're to train up our children. Solomon said, train a child in the way that he should go, and when he's old, he will not turn from it. So we're supposed to start early. It's not too early in the nursery. It's not too early in the womb for you to read scripture to your children. Moses wrote, hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Notice verse 7. He says, repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're away on a journey and when you're lying down and when you're getting up again. Tie them on your hands as a reminder and wear them on your forehead. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. It is our responsibility to teach our children about God. It's not the school's responsibility. It is our responsibility. And the number one textbook that you need to use is the Bible, the Word of God. Paul, when he wrote Timothy, said all scripture is inspired by God. It is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It straightens us out, and it teaches us to do what is right. It is God's way of preparing us in every way, fully equipped for every good thing that God wants us to do. He wrote those words to Timothy. But you can't fully understand the impact that they were to make until you go back and look at verse 14. Look at what he said before in verse 14. He said, but you must remember, Timothy, You excuse me. You must remain faithful to the things that you have been taught. What things? Things of God. Things about God that would give him understanding about God. He said, "You know that they are true, for you know that you can trust those who taught you." Uh, Where did Timothy get his education? His mom and his grandmother. They taught him the word of God. In verse 15 it says you have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood and you have, uh, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. So what in the world was Paul trying to do with young Timothy? I believe that he was trying to help Timothy grow up spiritually to become the person that God had created him to be. He was emphasizing the importance of God's word in that process and in his life. He was encouraging Timothy Timothy to be a faithful student of scripture. He was trying to, to spiritually develop Timothy's mind and his heart. Folks, Paul knew people. And he knew that all of us have a default point to which we revert to when times get tough And when we need answers. Now, think with me. There are two defaults in our life. One is the default switch for the world. The other is the default switch for spiritual things. You pick which one of those defaults is on. You decide every day, and when difficult times come, when you're struggling and need answers, you decide which one of those switches you're going to switch on, whether you're going to turn to the world for answers or whether you're going to turn to God for answers. It's kind of a default. It becomes instinctive. The more you do one, the more you're likely to do it over and over and over and over again. Okay? i told you that one of the first verses I ever memorized was Psalms 119.11. It says, thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. I believe David had a part in writing that. And I believe that was David's way of saying, I choose not to turn on the world switch, but the spiritual switch that connects me with God. I'm going to hide his word in my heart so that when I get into a difficult situation, I am going to know what God wants me to do. Therefore, I can do it. His son Solomon wrote an interesting uh, proverb, Proverbs 23, verse 7. says, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. I told you the word think was going to come back up. You can circle that one too. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. My friends, you are the product of what you think. Garbage in, garbage out. If you feed yourself the world, you will think like the world. If you feed on the word of God, then you can think godly. Again, when Paul was writing to the Romans, the believers there in Rome, he he wrote these words. Verse 2 says, "Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform You into a new person by changing the way you think. How you think is very important. So here's a simple question with a really simple answer. What does God use more than anything else in the world to transform our lives in the way we think into spiritual people? What does God use? His Word, Scripture, the Bible. Again, here's the verse, 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It strengthens us or straightens us out and teaches us to do what is right. It is God's way Of preparing us in every way, fully equipping, fully equipped for every good thing that God wants us to do. I remember when we would not do so well on Friday night on the football field, if we lost or if we came close to losing, I knew what was going to happen on Monday. We were going to get back to the basics. We were going to learn to tackle. We were going to learn to block. We were going to learn to catch the ball. We were going to learn to do the, the basic essentials for winning ball games. Well, folks, I believe with all my heart it's time for Christians to get back to the basics. we got to get back to what we're known for. Baptists have been known for centuries as people of the book. Not just any book but the Bible. I wonder how many of you read God's Word this week. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because I don't want to embarrass you. How many of you even read God's Word this week? How many of you read God's Word every day this week? How many of you brought God's Word to church? How many of us are teaching our children that God's word has absolute authority in all matters pertaining to life? How important is it, is, is it for our kids to grow up and graduate and leave us, is it important enough to give them God's word? Yes! We spend so much time worrying about having enough money to send them to college. We need to be worried about preparing their heart To leave home Moms and dads Your children won't survive and thrive Very well in this life Without God and they will not know God Without having a Bible In their hand I want you to listen to some scripture To some words that a a king grew up uh, They're they're, they're from a king who grew up Knowing God It's, It's David I don't mind telling you that It's a psalm that he was forced to write as he was having to flee out into the, the wilderness of Judea when he was running for his life. I was reading some different commentary uh, and comments made about that. Uh, and, and J. Vermagee wrote this about this particular psalm. He says, this is a special psalm. It is an ointment that is poured out upon all kinds of sores. It is a bandage for bruises. It is a balm to put upon wounds to help them heal it has been a, a marvelous psalm for the church. It speaks of the thirst for the water of life. Christendom said that it was ordained and agreed upon by the, uh, the primitive fathers that no day should pass without the public singing of this psalm. And in the primitive church, this psalm was sung every morning and every time there was a public gathering. I'm going to read it in just a moment, and I would just say to you that this this is what a parent should want to hear and see from their children, especially when time gets hard for them, especially in tough times. It's something that you should be praying for and something that you should be hoping for. Um, I can't help but believe that somehow David's parents prayed for that. We find that on uh, on this particular occasion once more, the worst that could happen to any man only brings out the best in David. It, it doesn't uh, get much worse than having your own son depose you and to run you out of town. Uh, but that is exactly what happened to David when his son Absalom uh, forced his father to abandon his throne, the Ark of the Covenant, and the tabernacle, and he literally fled out into the wilderness to... To save his life. He was running for his life. His own son drove him out of Jerusalem. You got to keep in mind that there's no drier place, I believe, in the world than the En uh, And that's where David fled. Uh, he uh, ne- Neither David nor any of the people that went with him would have survived very long had they not been able to find water. But when David went out into that dry place, instead of looking for water, he was looking for God. Because David was of the mindset, it doesn't matter if I have water. If I don't have God, the water's not going to do me any good. And so Psalm 63, verse 1, you hear David pleading for God. And he says, oh God, you are my God and I earnestly search for you. My my soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and and weary land where there is no water. I can just see David standing out in that sand with his feet buried in the sand, and instead of begging God for water, he's begging God for God. Help me, O Lord, show me who you are. David Kidner said, the longing of this verse is not the groping of a stranger feeling his way toward God, but the eagerness of a friend, almost of a lover, to be in touch with the one that he holds so dear. David is desperate for God. His water skin may have been dry, but instead of water in that, he wanted God in his heart and in his life. His word comes from a man of faith. It, It is faith and faith alone that can speak like this. David knows this God. He knows the eternal one who transcends all human thinking. David, in his mind, his God is his creator, his great redeemer, his heavenly father. And he longs for him. He seeks for him. He knew that it was a terrible thing to be thirsty. But David wanted God more than water. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if we all grew up wanting David, wanting God the way David did? Listen to some other words from him. He said, I will praise you, my God and my King, and bless your name forever and ever, and I will bless you every day, and I will praise you forever. Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. His greatness is beyond discovery. Let each generation tell its children of your mighty act. Guys, we can't lead our kids where we haven't been. David said, the Lord helps the fallen and he lifts up those bent beneath their load. All eyes look to you for help and you give them their food as they need it. When you open your hand, you satisfy the hunger and the thirst of every living thing. What is interesting is what David's son has to say, and I'm not talking about the one who tried to usurp his father's throne, but the unlikely son who eventually was crowned to rule his father's kingdom. I'm talking about Solomon. I was reading in Proverbs the other day, and it dawned on me as I read scripture that Solomon is the only son that David and Bathsheba had that survived and grew up to adulthood. They only had two kids. The first one died. He is the son that David invested his energy and his time in. He's the son that David brought up to know and love God. He's the son that listened to his father and followed God. And look at what Solomon said. Interesting psalm. I was, I've been reading through the psalms every month. I read or through the Proverbs. I've been reading through it every month. And so by the end of the year, I will have read through Proverbs 12 times this year. Wisdom literature. Learning how to be wise in God. When I first read this one, I didn't know what to do with it. It says, when dining with a ruler, like a president, Pay attention to what he puts before you. I thought, that's not going to happen to me. I'm not going to get to eat at the White House. (laughs) Uh, If you invite me to your house, I will come. Just don't make collard greens. Right, Leah? (laughs) She told the church that one time, because I don't eat collard greens. She said, my daddy don't eat collard greens. (laughs) But I will if I need to. Vinegar is that what it takes? But you got you got to do something to them. <laughs> Somebody said pot liquor one time. I go, what in the world's pot liquor? You know, unless you're from the south, you don't understand those things. Anyway, let's move on. <laughs> I am not getting hungry. What is he saying? He's saying, think. Think, think carefully about what you're about to eat. My rule is if I can't get it past my nose, it's not going in my mouth. That's a good rule. He says to be sure you think. Now, why does he say that? Look at verse two. He said, if you are a big eater, put a knife to your throat and don't desire all the delicacies. What I, when I first read that, I thought, well, that just tells you don't eat your dessert before your main meal. But then I knew Ronnie wouldn't like that translation, because so, Ronnie eats his dessert first. But notice what else he says, and don't desire all the delicacies, deception may be involved. makes you wonder about the menu that was used this week by our president's state dinner Um, my guess is there was a great deal of thought that went into that very first state dinner meal that our president and first lady hosted uh, with the French president and his wife Um, I read a, a, a report by a reporter who said her name was Barbara Sprunt she said There's arguably nothing grander in the nation's capital than a state dinner. The red carpet gets rolled out, the silverware is shined, and the guest list is winnowed down. State dinners are intricate diplomatic dances filled with pageantry and symbolism. They take months to plan, the world is watching, and every choice from china patterns to flowers is scrutinized. It's an interesting meal. I pulled it up on my computer just to see what they ate. Um, glad I wasn't inviting. They had goat cheese grotto, tomato jam, buttermilk biscuits. Now, that's good. They would just had some tomato gravy. It had been all right. Buttermilk biscuits and young variegated lettuces. And there was also the main course was rack of spring lamb with a charred French sauce made with onions and butters and cream. And then there was gold rice jambalaya. Not normally served with lamb. Which is interesting. I I wonder about that. There were nectarine tarts and creme franchée ice cream. I bet that was good. I don't know if there was a hidden agenda in that menu. But you got to wonder what the French president and his wife thought about what they were fed. I think they went away probably well fed and happy and everything appears to be that. But here's the point. What you think and how you think is absolutely critical. Paul says in Philippians 2.5, in your lives you must think and act like Jesus Christ. That's what God wants us to do. That's how he wants us to think and how he wants us to act. Well, guess what? You're not going to act like him if you don't think like him, and you're not going to think like him if you don't know him, and you're not going to know him if you don't open your Bible. Isaiah 55, 8 says, My thoughts are completely different from yours, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. Dr. Tony Evans writes, Because God is transcendent and distinct from his creation, His way of approaching and analyzing an issue is not going to be your way. That's why you need to develop the mind of the king, the king. You need a kingdom mentality, a kingdom way of thinking so that you can get God's mind in the issues of your life. Whether we're talking about marriage or sex or money or children or any other issue in your life, God's thinking on the subject will be different than the way the world thinks about it. And that is so true. Your ability and your decision to develop a kingdom mind will also determine whether you're, you're going to taste victory or defeat in your daily spiritual life. What You think and where you set your mind will determine to a large degree what you experience in your choices. And that is because what you sow in your mind will come out through your mouth and your hands and your feet. You see, your body will always express what is in your mind. You are what you think. And that is why A disciple of Jesus Christ needs to start dealing with the way we think about things. If you can transform your thoughts and bring your mind under the authority of Christ, then you have laid the foundation for transforming your actions. That is how a liar ceases to be a liar. That is how a gossip ceases to gossip. That is how... A thief loses sticky fingers. Change the way you think. Listen, when you, when you make it a priority to develop a kingdom mind, that is when you will begin to experience God's will for your life. And, and that is because at that point, God reveals his will to your mind and to your heart. And so, my friend, if you want to please God and know his will, then you need to give God your mind because that is the only way he can control your thoughts and change your actions. Now, how do I know that? Well, there's examples in the Bible, and and there's a very good one in, in the story of Daniel and his friends. Again, let's refresh our mind. It's something I've already read you. Go back to Proverbs 23, verse 1. Solomon says, when dining with a ruler, pay attention to what is put before you. Think about what you're being fed. If you remember the story, when Daniel was just a teenager, King Nebuchadnezzar invaded Jerusalem and he deported from that city the very best of the populace, all the finest young men, the cream of the crop. And along with some other bright and promising young Hebrew captives, Daniel was then selected to be trained for a very special service to the king, to King Nebuchadnezzar. And that meant undergoing a very rigorous process of assimilation into Babylonian culture, which included eating all the delicacies found on Nebuchadnezzar's table. Now, unfortunately, Daniel was Jewish And the king's food had not been prepared According to Jewish dietary law And also there was a very strong And almost probable chance That this food had been offered to idols Which was strictly forbidden by Mosaic law So all these fine young men Were put at the king's table And said eat this food Well, Daniel and his friends faced a very difficult dilemma. What do we do with this? How do we handle this? They could ignore God and all that they'd been taught and and go the way of the world, or they could refuse the king's order and stay true to God and face death. So I'm sure they got together. They had a little conversation, and they determined we just cannot do this. We must stay true to God. We can't eat the king's food. And so they asked for permission. They had an overseer. And they said, Look, we would rather eat vegetables and drink water for 10 days. Let's try this. And fortunately, their overseer said, Okay, I'll let you do that. And at the end of 10 days, the overseer saw that Daniel and his three friends were in much better shape than all the others that were eating from the king's table. And there's some indication that this went on for some time, them eating vegetables and water. It would help your figure. Daniel chapter 1 verse 18, it said when the three-year training period ordered by the king was complete, the chief official brought all the young men to the to King Nebuchadnezzar, and the king talked with each of them, and none of them impressed him as much as Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah. So they were appointed to his regular staff of advisors. In all matters requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, the king found the advice of these young men to be 10 times better than that of all the magicians and the enchanters in his entire kingdom. Praise God for the example of Daniel here and his friends. We have proof that it works. They were people of godly convictions. And when the world's pressure was upon them, their default was the word of God. And they leaned on the truths of God's word. Now think about it. They were a a long, these were young guys. They're a long, long way from home. They're away from their family and their community. They're exposed to the world like never, ever before. And their parents weren't there to protect them and to provide those boundaries for them. And they're living in the midst of a pagan environment that sought to strip them of all their godly values and morals. And they... Most assuredly faced temptation on a scale far greater than they had ever experienced before. And yet, because Daniel and his friends had been taught about God and how to know God and the ways of God, they chose to stay true to God and to the ways of God, and guess what? God blessed them. Imagine that, that God would bless them. Folks, as Christians in our ever-increasing secular world and culture, we need to take note and learn from these godly people that we read about in Scripture, their conviction and their determination. They chose to obey God instead of an earthly king. They let God lead them in their decision-making instead of asking the world, what do I do? We need to be consumed with a passion for the Word of God. When we get up in the morning, we should want to open up God's Word more than put a piece of toast in the toaster. We need strong convictions that are scripturally based instead of compromising to the pressures of the world. We need to be people of courage that'll stand up for what we know and believe to be true no matter What? I'll be honest. I'm I'm 63. And yesterday was real. You weren't here. I got a neck wound. I died three times by the door there (laughs) yesterday. Once before they got to me, I bled out. Then after they got to me, I bled out again because they didn't know what to do with me. And the third time I died was when they put that pediatric neck collar on me and they cinched it down and it was way too small for my neck. I choked right back there. It was hilarious. The first one came to me and and I've got my eyes closed. I'm laying there trying to be still, pretending to be unconscious. And the first one came and he said, what do we do with this guy? And then there was another one got at my head and he put his hands on my head like this, like, I'm just going to hold his head. I'm bleeding out. And another one goes, oh, I think we need to put pressure on his wound. These were students, by the way. Don't fear. These were students. Bless their hearts. They'd had four hours of training before they came here yesterday and were thrown in the midst of all that. I'd have been overwhelmed as well. The pressures of the world are going to get on you sometimes and overwhelm you. And if your default is not switched to the Word of God and the things of God and the ways of God, you're going to get on your phone and you're going to go Facebook or you're going to phone a friend or you're going to talk to somebody at the office and you're going to get the world's opinion about what you need to do Instead of turning to God for His direction, we need to be people of conviction. Amen? There's nothing that's going to change your life like the Spirit of God and the Word of God together. Together okay and we need changing there's not a person in this room that doesn't need to make adjustments in relationship to God because as we adjust to God it helps us to adjust to people okay and I got news for you we need people skills we are losing the ability to relate rightly to people Because we're not interacting with people the way we used to. When you see a a child on one side of the table with a phone. And a child on the other side of the table with a phone. And instead of talking to each other they're texting each other. We are losing the desire and the ability to talk to one another. And relate to one another. And then when a problem comes we don't know how to fix it. God will teach us if we'll open up his plan book and make it a daily diet of God's word try it and you'll be amazed I'm living proof that it'll change your life and we all need changing amen let's pray Father this morning as I have shared my heart and my life about what you've done in me and to me and even through me. I would not be here today had not someone put your word in my hands and encouraged me to read it. Father, I would not be here today had I not opened it and allowed you to begin to speak to my life issues I would not be here today if the Spirit had not worked with the written word to bring about conviction in my heart. Because God, as I lived in sin, I was enjoying it. But God, as I began to open your word and allow your spirit to speak, I became uncomfortable with things that were going on in my life, with choices that I was making, with things that I was doing. And Lord, I admit that in the beginning, conviction was was not pleasant at all. And I, I, I ran from it and I struggled with it. But I've come to this point in my life where, Lord, I confess to you and all these people that conviction is a blessing from God. Lord, you brought us here today. Because you want to shape us and mold us into the image of your son. And that has not been our heart desire probably this week. But in this moment, that's why we're here. And Lord, only if we put our lives in your hands and surrender to you, God, can we be shaped. Otherwise, our default switch is turned on to the world. And the world's going to continue to influence us. God, my prayer for every person here today is that we will leave here with that switch off and our switch toward you turned on so that we can hear you, so that we can see you, so that we can sense your presence, so that we can surrender to you. Because, Lord, quite honestly, there's people here today that need to be saved. They know who they are. There are people here, Lord, who need to recommit their life to you. They they are Christians, but they're living in sin. There are people here today, Lord, who know that you put a call on their life to be in some kind of ministry. And Lord, they've been running. There are people here, Lord, today that you've allowed to come and worship with us for quite a while that need to move forward and make a commitment to be a part of this church. Lord, I'm asking you to accomplish what you brought us here to do and help us to be willing participants as we surrender our lives to your authority. Thank you, Lord, for a window of opportunity to change Help us to make the most of it before that window closes. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand? Will you think about making that commitment that God's brought you here to make? Whatever it is, salvation, recommitment, church membership, full-time service, whatever. I'm here to help you. Come as God leads. You come.